0: Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at Bethelpbc.us. My text for the morning is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1 and the 10th verse. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, and here's our text, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. The verb to save in the Bible is used in a variety of ways. There are some people when they hear reference to salvation, that automatically think that every time it's talking about salvation in the ultimate sense, eternal salvation. Well, I think we can say that the verb to save always means to deliver. Salvation and deliverance are synonyms in the Bible. But there are many deliverances that we experience in our lives beyond just the ultimate deliverance from hell to heaven there are many timely deliverances that is deliverances in this temporal world that do not necessarily have eternal consequence that is they do not determine whether we go to heaven or not when we die when Peter was sinking in the sea of Galilee and cried out to Jesus Lord save or I perish he's not thinking of final banishment in the lake of fire when he asks for salvation. He's asking for salvation from drowning. And you'll notice our text this morning speaks of salvation in three time zones. He delivered us from so great a death, past tense. He doth deliver, present tense. And in whom we trust, he shall yet deliver us, future tense. I want us to think about salvation in three time zones this morning, God's past deliverance, his present deliverances, and the future deliverance that is awaiting us someday. And I think these three salvations correspond to the three times in the New Testament Jesus is called the shepherd of the sheep. He's called the good shepherd, he's called the great shepherd, And he's called the chief shepherd. He's called the good shepherd in connection with our past deliverance. John chapter 10 says, The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Here's a shepherd that rather than allow his sheep to be victims to the predator, stood in the gap and gave his life to save or deliver his flock. As the good shepherd, Jesus Christ delivered us from so great a death, past tense. As the great shepherd, Hebrews 13, 20 says, he was brought again from the dead. That's where he is right now, right? Jesus was resurrected and enthroned at the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession for us as the great shepherd. Right now, he doth deliver in the present tense. And then first Peter chapter five, verse four says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, You shall receive a crown of glory. Notice the future orientation of that verse. As the chief shepherd, Jesus will deliver us from the very presence of sin. I think we can also compare these three salvations and three references to Christ as our shepherd to the three appearings that are listed in the ninth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 9 24 to 28 says that once in the end of the world hath he appeared. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Past tense. Notice Jesus Christ has appeared. He has made an entrance onto the stage of human history. As our good shepherd, Jesus Christ appeared to deliver us from so great a death. Then he says that he now appears in the presence of God for us. Notice present tense. Now appears. And then verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 9 says unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Do You see the three deliverances, the three shepherds, the three appearances go together. Or let me put it like this. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. The apostle Paul says to the young preacher Titus, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared, past tense, to all men. Teaching us, present tense, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live godly and righteously in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope, future tense, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me how these triplets reoccur in Scripture. The three salvations, the three appearances, the three shepherds, the three deliverances in Titus chapter 2. So I think we can say this morning that Jesus Christ has saved us or delivered us from the penalty and the power of sin in the past. He now delivers us from the practice of sin in the present. And one day he will deliver us from even the very presence of sin in the future. And when you read, therefore, the word salvation in the Bible, or the concept of saving, I think it's important to rightly divide the word of truth, not to just assume that it's always talking about salvation in the ultimate sense, salvation from hell to heaven. For the Bible teaches salvation or deliverance in three time zones, past, present, and future. And the bottom line of it all is that God is our deliverer. I love the 18th psalm and we sing sometimes a hymn that is taken from this 18th psalm and he says in psalm 18:2, the lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my god my strength in whom i will trust my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower i will call upon the lord who is worthy to be praised so shall i be saved from my enemies the lord is my rock my fortress my deliverer. God is our delivering God. Isn't it wonderful to think about him as a delivering God? And when you start thinking about this topic of deliverance or salvation, it's always important then to ask the question, saved from what? If you want to get the correct sense of the text in which the verb to save or to deliver is used, then ask yourself the question as you approach it, What is he talking about? Saved from what? Saved from final punishment? Saved from the curse of the law? Or saved from danger? Saved from sickness? Saved from drowning? But I'll tell you the bottom line of it all again is that God is our deliverer in every sense. So let's think about these three time zones. And first we look at the first phrase of our text. He hath delivered us, past tense, from so great a death. This expression, so great a death, obviously refers to ultimate death. That's why Hebrews 2.3 says that we have so great salvation. It's so great salvation because it's a deliverance from so great a death. The final separation from God in the lake of fire, that's the greatest death that we can imagine. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ Delivered us from so great a death. Jesus Christ did not simply make us deliverable on the cross, but he actually delivered those that he represented. He delivered us. In, that's a fact. The gospel is not a message with a question mark at the end. It's a message with an exclamation point. It is a fact, it's an exclamation, it's a proclamation, it's a declaration. Jesus Christ has delivered us, past tense, from so great a death. Psalm 86, 13, no doubt speaks of this when he says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, for thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. That's a wonderful text for worship. I will praise the Lord and I will glorify his name forevermore. Here's the reason, for he has delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Now God's children may pass through many hells in this life, many deep afflictions, dark valleys, and trials, but I'm glad to proclaim this morning that he has already delivered us from the lowest hell. When he reached down his mighty arm for you and me, he picked us up again as beggars from the dunghill and lifted us as princes to inherit thrones of glory. He has delivered us from so great a death. Isaiah 38:17 says, But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Don't you love those verses that tell us what the Lord's done with our sins when he died on the cross? He has sewn them up and sealed them in a bag, says Isaiah 44:22. 22. He has blotted them out as a thick cloud. He has cast them into the depths of the sea, says Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He has separated them as far from us as the east is from the west, says the 103rd Psalm. And here in this text, it says that he has cast all of our sins behind his back. He will not remember them against us anymore. Jesus Christ was judged in our stead so that you and I will never meet our sins again. Isn't that good news, my beloved? Your sins have been taken care of. They're not taken care of by what Christ did plus your supplement to that work. They're taken care of by his work alone. He's the deliverer. He has delivered us from so great a death. Isaiah 49, 24 says it like this Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? That's a very important question. The picture is of a predator like a lion who has a little lamb in its jaws. The prey has been taken captive by the mighty predator. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Is there any hope for deliverance? Or the lawful captive delivered, that is, here's one who's in captivity and bondage and he's there lawfully. He deserves to be there. Is there any hope that he would ever be released from prison? The answer in the next verse is... Verily, thus saith the Lord, the prey shall be taken from the mighty one, and the captive of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, saith the Lord, and I will save thy children. What a great promise it is, my beloved, that Jesus Christ came and snatched from the jaws of death all of the objects of his eternal love and delivered the prey from the predator. He delivered the prey from the mighty. Now, the question is, how did he do it? When we think of this word salvation in the Bible, let's understand it's an umbrella concept. And it includes a number of ideas beneath the canopy of salvation. That is, it includes predestination and election. Something that happened in the mind and purpose of God before the world began. It includes redemption and justification and reconciliation at the cross. And it includes regeneration and sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And final, glorification, that is when our bodies will be conformed to the glorified image of Jesus Christ in the last day. So the word salvation, or the verb to save in this ultimate sense, covers each of these great doctrines or theological concepts. How did he deliver us from so great a death? legally by means of the cross when Jesus Christ went to the cross he bore the punishment that was due to us as our substitute and delivered us from so great a death Galatians 3 13 puts it like this Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us as it is written Cursed is every man that hangeth on the tree that speaks of the doctrine of substitutionary atonement he took our place and in our stead, he was made a curse and we were the guilty party, but Jesus became our representative, our federal head, our locum tenens. And Jesus Christ was our substitute. He stood in our place, and therefore, through the work that he did that was imputed to our account, credited to us. You see, our sins were charged against him. His perfect righteousness was credited to your account and mine. Now, that's a good deal, isn't it? I dare say that you won't find a better transaction or deal than that. That he took your sins and he's given you his righteousness. And my beloved, that's the great transaction, the wonderful exchange. Jesus Christ was treated as if he had lived your life and you and I are now treated before God as if we had lived his perfect and obedient life. Indeed, that's how he delivered us from so great a death. Romans 11:26 says it like this. Out of Zion shall come forth the Deliverer, who shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so all Israel shall be saved. Israel in that verse stands for the entire covenant family of God. All Israel shall be saved, for it is written, Out of Zion shall come the Deliverer, who shall turn ungodliness away from Jacob. But there's another verse in the New Testament that says he will turn Jacob away from ungodliness. But there's a difference in turning Jacob away from sin and turning sin away from his people. My beloved, at the cross, he turned sin away from you and me. He dealt with our sins. And therefore, you and I should turn from sin in repentance in our lives right now. But the fact is, whether we ever do that or not, everyone that Christ represented on the cross has been delivered because he is the deliverer for his covenant people. Matthew 1.21 is a verse that old Baptists have rubbed slick as a mink. She shall bring forth a son. It's talking about Mary. She will give birth to a male child. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For the name Jesus means Savior. For he shall save his people from their sins. I love the certainty of that verse. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he didn't come to try to save, hope to save, make a stab at it, make it possible not even to make it probable. He came to make it a reality. He came to save his people. Whom did he come to save? Those that were given to him in covenant before the world began. He came to save that number. Psalm 111 verse 9 says, he sent redemption to his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. My beloved, he did that. 1 Thessalonians 1:10 says, we are to turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. That's where we are today, right? We're waiting on Jesus to return. Who hath delivered us, He says, from the wrath to come. Jesus has delivered us in the past tense. Legally, how did He do it? He did it at the cross by substituting in our stead. Vitally, He did it by... Applying the work of redemption to our hearts in regeneration. You see, the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus did legally on the cross and applies it to your heart personally and individually and vitally during the lifetime of every one of His people. Sometime between conception and death, He quickens them so that they are raised to a new life through the sovereign and direct work of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.13 speaks of this. When he says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness, has delivered us, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, you know what a translator is, don't you? A translator is someone who takes language, words from one language, and he translates them into another language. The word translate, the prefix trans, means to move across, and it always speaks of this idea of movement. So to translate means to take words from this side of the pulpit, if I can illustrate it with this hymn book, and move them to this side to translate. This verse says he has translated us from the power of darkness. He picked us up and he moved us into the kingdom of his dear son and delivered us from the power of darkness. Now that's where we were by nature. Every one of us were darkness itself by nature not just in darkness, a lot of people who are in darkness, their minds are confused and their lives are topsy-turvy. But Ephesians 5:8 says you were sometimes darkness. He didn't say just you were in darkness, but you were darkness itself. By nature, my beloved, there's not a flicker of light. There's not a glimmer of righteousness in our hearts by nature. Somebody says, well, the worst of people have a little good in them. I, that's not biblical. By nature, my beloved, there is no good thing in us. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, that is my old nature, dwelleth no good thing. There's not a little uh, flicker of light in there that just needs to be fanned into a bonfire. No, my beloved, we are darkness itself. But I'm telling you that Jesus Christ translated. Now how much do the words, when a translator is at work, How much do the words, what part do they play in the translation process? They are passive, aren't they? They are acted upon. And so you and I were passive when the Lord decided to quicken us. Now we're active in discipleship. We're to follow the Lord. We're to use our wills and put forth effort into walking a Christian path. But I'm telling you in the ultimate sense, when He delivered us from the power of darkness, when He delivered us from so great a death, That's the work of God and God alone from start to finish. Salvation is of the Lord. So he did the work on the cross and the spirit takes that and applies it to your heart in regeneration and we are born again. We are lifted from death and sin to life in Christ, translated from the power of darkness, delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. 2 Timothy 1.9 speaks of this when he says, God hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Who did it? God did. He did the saving. Not God plus the preacher. Not God plus the sinner. Not God plus mother, father, brother, sister, neighbor, or friend. But he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So in the past tense... God delivered us from so great a death. But let's move to the next time zone. The text says the God who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, doth deliver. That is, He does right now deliver us. And I'm glad to tell you that the same God who loved you enough to pluck you from eternal burnings, to make you a child of grace, delivers us and has pledged Himself to be with us on a daily basis, to save us from many pitfalls and trials in this world. Recently we preached from the 56th Psalm, and I didn't get to the latter half of that Psalm in that sermon, but I want you to notice the very last verse, Psalm 56, verse 13. He says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, past tense, wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling notice he turns it into a prayer lord the fact is you have delivered me already in the past but here's my prayer right now wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling that i may walk before god in the light of the living oh my friends may i say the god who delivered you from so great a death has pledged himself to deliver your feet from falling on a day-by-day basis right now. And that's good news because I feel so many times like I'm standing on a banana peel of trouble and trial. My emotions are up and down. The circumstances of life change on an hourly basis. You know, the God who's delivered us, who loved you enough to deliver you from a devil's hell and to make you one of His children so that heaven is your home, is also with you to deliver you every day to deliver your feet from falling and that's good news to me this morning in fact you say well can he deliver me from my trials right now 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation we're talking right now about a temporal salvation that is again a kind of deliverance that does not necessarily have eternal ramifications. It doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or not when you die. But we all need daily help, don't we? We all need deliverances, time salvation. We need it. And the Lord knows how to give it. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly, that is his children, out of temptations and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. This second chapter of Second Peter gives us three examples of God's timely deliverance. First, Noah. Verse 5 says that he spared not the old world, but he saved Noah. God saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God saved Noah, my friends, from the flood, the global catastrophe, the deluge. God delivered him and his family from the judgment that fell upon this time world in the flood. And then he mentions Lot. He talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You're familiar with that story in Genesis chapter 19, no doubt. When God judged those cities by raining fire and brimstone upon those ungodly cities. And it says, verse 7, and He delivered just Lot. You see, the Lord knows how to deliver. 2 Peter 2.9, He talks about saving Noah. He knew how to save Noah. And He knew how to deliver just Lot who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked and then this chapter tells us in verse 1 of 2nd Peter chapter 2 that there were false prophets among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you And my beloved the God who delivered Noah and Lot knows how to deliver you and me from false prophets and false teaching now I know it's not politically correct in our world to talk about false prophets false teachers but I hope you know today that uh, I'm interested in being biblically correct, not politically correct. And biblically speaking, we know that there are false teachers all around us. There are people in classrooms, hotel seminar conference rooms, writing editorials in the newspaper, giving uh, editorial comments on the television, and standing behind pulpits who are demagogues, who are charlatans, who are fakes and phonies, and who have ulterior motives, not the glory of God, they seek to use their position for personal power, prestige, and personal privilege. It's always been that way. There have been false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. We need deliverance from falsehood, don't we? There are ideas aplenty in this world that are contrary to the Holy Scriptures. There are ideas propagated in all of these places that I've just mentioned that are from a secular and naturalistic worldview. They are not consistent with the scriptures. And our motto should always be, let God be true and every man a liar. If man's opinion contradicts the word of God, we need to do what Moses did when he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. He killed the Egyptian. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, if two scriptures seem to contradict each other, we need to do what Moses did when he saw two Hebrews fighting. He tried to reconcile them. And that's the challenge facing the Bible interpreter because we know that the Bible does not violate the law of non-contradiction. No two scriptures contradict each other. They may seem so in our minds, but our job is to rightly divide the word of truth so that it fits together like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle to preserve the unity and the cohesion of the entire message of scripture but yet may i say that uh, god knows how to deliver us from false prophets Do you need deliverance in a timely sense from false teaching false ideas unbiblical thinking i do because i'm bombarded with it every day and therefore discernment is of the essence the bible says first thessalonians 5 and this is good advice to you and me this morning prove all things don't just accept what you hear at face value Solomon says in Proverbs that the simple believe every word, but a prudent man looks well to his going. That is the simple, they just take it all in like a sponge. You know, they just believe everything they hear. Somebody's articulate, dressed in a nice suit of clothes. They say, well, they must know what they're talking about. They have the credentials, but I'll tell you, the prudent man is very discerning. So he says, prove all things and then Hold fast to that which is good. God's people should be like an archaeologist with a sieve. He takes a shovel full of dirt and puts it into the sieve and then he shakes it. And what is left is what is valuable, you know, on top. All the rest falls through. We need to learn to sift everything that we encounter, every idea through the lens, through the grid, through the sieve of this book. And this book is always right. It's always true. It is the divinely inspired, inerrant, and timeless word of God. His truth is unchanged, and it's unchanging. So in the present tense, we need deliverance. And the promise is that God will deliver us right now. Job 5.19 says, He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven. He will not forsake you. Think about that verse. God will deliver you in six troubles. You say, well, okay, He's delivered me all my life, but what about death? When I come to the last trouble, the seventh, look how He's delivered me, but I don't think He'll deliver me here. I'm telling you, He will deliver you in six troubles all through your life, and then when you come to the very end, He will not forsake you. That's good news. He does deliver us right now. Psalm 50 verse 15 gives us this promise. Call unto me and I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. It would be a good verse to write on a post-it note and put it on your bathroom mirror. God says, give me a call. Call unto me. And I shall deliver. Do you need deliverance in your life? I don't know where this message finds you today, my beloved. I'm saying here's the answer to your problems. You call to God and He's promised to deliver you. And then here's the result. Thou shalt glorify me. Then you praise Him. You come to the house of God and tell Him thank you. You tell everybody how He helped you. He'll deliver you from all of your fears. Psalm 34 verse 4. The psalmist David says that the Lord delivered me from all of my fears. I sought the Lord, He heard me, and delivered me from all of my fears. Anyone here today have struggles with fear and anxiety? Then seek the Lord. He will hear you. And deliver you from all of your fears. He'll deliver you from all of your troubles. Later in Psalm 34, he says in verse 17, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them. Present tense, out of all of their troubles. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. I'm telling you, dear friends, God will deliver you. You say, well, that's not true, Brother Mike. I have a loved one that we prayed that God would deliver this person, and they died. You don't think that's a deliverance? (laughs) Death, that's the ultimate deliverance. I mean, to be in the presence of the Lord, free from the pains and sufferings and troubles of this world? My beloved, don't underestimate the uh, deliverance that is the child of God's in being taken home to heaven. Home is the ultimate deliverance but god's promised my beloved to deliver his people from all of their troubles. matthew chapter 6 verse 13 tells us that we're to pray deliver us from evil lead me not into temptation but what deliver me from evil that is from sin. lord keep me from falling. i'm prone to wander. i'm prone to stumble. lord i'm looking to you to keep me from tripping up along the way of life. now I've tripped up before, have you? I've wandered from the path. I have lost focus. I have stumbled along life's way. That's why we need to pray every day. That model prayer is a morning prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You wouldn't pray that at night. He wants you to start each day praying that model prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray every day that God would keep us or deliver us from stumbling and falling into sin. So, well, Brother Mike, I forgot to pray, and I did fall into sin. Then you need to pray, Lord, deliver me from guilt. Psalm 51 14, David in his penitential psalm after his sin with Bathsheba. Praise, deliver me from b- blood guiltiness, O oh God. He says, Lord, I feel so bad about what I've done. My conscience is offended. Guilt feelings trouble my soul. Lord, I feel unclean and I cry out, Cleanse me, wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Cleanse me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O oh God. Here's the prayer of a broken-hearted contrite sinner asking God to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And he says, Lord, deliver me from what I've done by taking this man's wife and arranging for his death. Lord, deliver me from blood guiltiness. I'll tell you, there's not a worse sin than that, is there? A worse sin than stealing someone else's mate and then having them put to death? You know, that's kicking somebody while they're down, isn't it? David orchestrated a plot to have Uriah's life taken, thinking that would solve his problem, cover up his sin. But you know, it didn't. God knew all about it. And God told His preacher Nathan, His prophet Nathan, all about it. And Nathan came to David saying, Thou art the man. And David knew he was found out. The telltale heart was already pounding vociferously in his chest telling him that he was guilty, guilty, guilty. He couldn't seem to get away from it. You know, that's what a guilty conscience will do to a person. You won't be able to look yourself in the face in the mirror. When That dark cloud hangs over you. And my beloved, the best thing to do is not to remain silent. Psalm 32 says, When I remained silent over my sins, my bones waxed old in me all the day because of my roaring. There's just a loud roar in his conscience, in his soul, as he feels to be so guilt-ridden. He says, Until I cried out to God, I had this inward stress, but he said, Lord, I found peace. That's the promise, my friend, in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need deliverance from guilt feelings? From a convicted conscience, my beloved? I'm glad to tell you that none of us are perfect, but that doesn't excuse our sins. There's only one remedy for the burdened soul. There's only one hope for the guilty sinner, and that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ which can wash you whiter than snow. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. Somebody says you need to learn to forgive yourself. That's not a biblical concept, but believing that God forgave you is a biblical concept. Somebody says I forgive myself. You're not in any position to forgive yourself, but appropriating the blood of Jesus, my beloved, by faith, we can do that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. You say, well, what if He won't? He's faithful to do it. He's just to do it. He will. If you confess it, put it under the blood, and He will forgive your sins and cleanse you. You'll get a bath on the inside. And my friends, what a wonderful bath that is. Washing away the guilty conscience. Yes, my beloved, we need to pray that He would deliver us from sin, and when we stumble into sin, pray that He would deliver us from guilt. God promises to deliver us from distress. Psalm 107, verse 6. I love the 107th Psalm. He gives us four pictures there. It's it's like a hymn with four verses. You know, some of the songs in our hymn book have a verse and then the same chorus after each verse. In Psalm 107, you have four pictures. Four verses. And each one ends with the same refrain. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works in the children of men. He shows us... uh, a wanderer seeking a city. He shows us a sick person on his sick bed ready to die. He shows us sailors in a storm on the sea. And he shows us children who, don't, who are orphaned, who don't have a family. And in every case, they cry out to the Lord. They seek the Lord for deliverance. And God hears and delivers and they are called to return to give him praise and glory for his deliverance. In Psalm 107 Verse 6 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. What is the nature of your distress today? Whatever it is, (laughs) He's promised to deliver you if you'll cry to Him. You see, this kind of time salvation is conditional. It depends on you calling out to Him. Now, I know God has often intervened even when we didn't seek His face. He's helped us by grace, pure grace, hasn't He? My life is a testimony to that. But for the most part, I dare say that when you need deliverance in your life, we need to seek the Lord. We need to cry out to Him. We need to apply to Him and confess our sins. And if we do that, then He will do this. You see, that's a condition. Somebody says, you primitive Baptists don't believe that there's any responsibility on people. Not as far as their eternal salvation is concerned. God did all the work there. But my beloved, as far as living a godly life and serving Jesus Christ, and walking in the straight and narrow way, we are responsible. We must make the effort. We have to put down the flesh and seek to do what the Lord said. We have to take up our cross and follow Him. Say no to sin and self. And say yes to Jesus. That is our duty and responsibility when it comes to practical godliness and the deliverance that's available to us right now in this world, my beloved, you and I do have a responsibility to assume in that situation. In fact, Psalm 116 verse 8 says the one who delivered our soul from death is the one that we trust to deliver our eyes from tears and our feet from falling, that we may walk before God In the land of the living. In all kinds of ways he'll deliver you. And the ultimate time deliverance is gospel salvation. Did you know there's a deliverance in the true gospel. That you won't find in this world. Now, God can deliver you. And we ought to seek him to save us. From physical dangers. From the sorrows of life. From the sicknesses around us. We ought to pray Lord save me. Lord deliver me. Lord hedge me about. Deliver me from stumbling into sin. Deliver me from guilt feelings. Deliver me from distress and from danger like you delivered Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrews in the burning fiery furnace. You know, God is your God able to deliver you? Yes, the God of Daniel was able to deliver him. But my beloved, may I say the greatest deliverance or salvation you and I need right now in this present world is deliverance from ignorance, deliverance from the bondage of the law, So many of God's children, my beloved, are living their lives in bondage in this world. And they have never realized the freedom, the liberty that is available to them in the truth that Jesus finished the work of salvation. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captives the opening of the prison to them that are bound there is deliverance in the proclamation of the gospel and I've felt it and experienced it have you I've seen families come in to a funeral dejected broken-hearted and hopeless grief-stricken and heard as the preacher began to tell that Jesus loved this deceased person from all eternity past made provisions for his or her salvation and final happiness that the Lord took care of this person all through his or her life. And that Jesus Christ laid His life down on the cross for Him. This person gave evidence of that during his or her life. and That they're a child of grace. And that though that our hearts are heavy right now, we know because the Scriptures teach us that as soon as the eyes closed in death, the eyes of the soul immediately awoke in the presence of Jesus to behold Him in all of His glory. And that that spirit and soul is right now conscious in the presence of the Lord, enjoying the bliss of that heavenly world. And one day Jesus is coming back to claim the body and to raise it from the cemetery. And the body will be reunited with the soul and that body will be changed. And that together we will be reunited in that happy world above. And I've seen, as that family heard that message, I've seen the true gospel deliver them from their despair, deliver them from hopelessness, deliver them from grief. And by the way, I've felt it and experienced it myself. Have you? My beloved, don't tell me the gospel can't save people. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, says Joel 2.32. That's quoted in Romans chapter 10, and the word saved is used. Those two words again are synonymous. And I'm telling you, the gospel will save you. It'll save you from false teaching. It'll save you from error. It'll save you from many sins. I've found deliverance in the church under the proclamation of the gospel of His grace in so many ways in my life. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 too, that that gospel will save you if you keep in memory what was preached unto you unless you believed in vain. You see, my beloved, as long as you keep it in memory, it will deliver you as you go through your life. The truth will set you free. Say, well, how do you keep it in memory by being reminded of it on a regular basis? You see, my memory, my mind is just all over the place. That's why I need to be in the house of God every Lord's day to be reminded of that old, old story of Jesus and his love. And that truth delivers me. I know it's all going to be okay in the end, even though right now I have troubles. But the God who's prepared my heavenly home has promised to be with me right now and finally our text says he hath delivered us he doth deliver and in whom we trust he shall yet deliver us there's a future tense another time zone in this saving work of god romans 8 21 says the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god the apostle paul prayed in second timothy chapter 4 verse 17 or he testified, rather, at my first answer, he said, No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. You know, people will let you down. But he said, Howbeit, the Lord stood by me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion, and he shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom when Jesus Christ comes again. How wonderful that final deliverance will be when we're saved. From the very presence of sin and there'll be nothing in that heavenly place to mar the joys that we experience there we ought to praise him for being our delivering god shouldn't we and when you read the word salvation or deliverance in the bible understand my beloved that it has these various applications past present and future